0: On the show this week, I talk to author and speaker, Steve Miller, about his book, Uncopyable. We talk about how to make your business stand out. Being better is not a competitive advantage. You must be different. Welcome to episode 185 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hey folks and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Whether you're listening to this show on a train, on a plane, in a boat, on a tram, in a car, Thank you so much for tuning in and downloading or streaming and plugging me and my guests into your earphones. As you know, I'm currently writing a book, writing a book on how to keep marketing simple. So I'm really excited this week that my guest is also an author. Steve Miller from the United States also has written a book. It's called Uncopyable, and it's about how to create competitive advantage for your business. We chat about why trying to be better than the competition doesn't work, why benchmarking helps businesses to stand out, but you must do it right, the fourth element of competitive advantage, how to create that fourth element to stand out, how to think outside the box and to define your box, and what Steve would like people to take from his book. So let's get straight into that interview with Steve right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Steve Miller, welcome to the Marketing and Finance podcast.
1: Well, good morning from Seattle. Roger. And
0: and good afternoon from Edinburgh. Uh, you you've just st- you've just answered What is always my
1: first question, where
0: are we zooming each other from? So I don't need to ask that now. So, of course.
1: Yeah, but I think I I had to look it up myself because I think we're almost 4,500 miles away besides the fact that we are eight hours.
0: So, Steve, you've written a book called Uncopyable, How to Create an Unfair Advantage Over Your Competition. I've read the book over the last couple of weeks. You were very kind enough to send me a hard copy of it, which I was really excited about because, of course, these days people tend to read Kindle versions or electronic versions versions but I actually have it
1: right here God in you could that way you can highlight I it
0: can, I can absolutely stuff. yeah make notes and highlighter pens yeah it's a book right after my own heart. In in fact, some of the topics that you, you cover are very similar to some of the thoughts I've been having about the book that I'm writing. But this podcast is going to be about your book, Steve. But before we get into a chat about the book, please tell the listeners of the Marketing and Finance Podcast a little bit about yourself, a bit about your background, where you came from, how your career
1: developed, where you're going, and basically, what makes Steve Miller tick? My background really has a lot to do with how I see business today and mm-hmm. how how my book actually came about because growing up uh, I was kind of my friends kind of saw me as a, a Forrest Gumpish kind <laughs> of guy because I had so many very interesting things happen to me in my life that were not really most of them really just kind of occurred by mm-hmm. accident more than me controlling what was going on in my world. So for for example I mean just to kick, kick it off uh, my father Ralph Miller was the co-inventor of the eight-track tape player. Wow! Uh, Those eight-track cassettes—they were—they were huge, weren't they? they were almost yeah, like gigantic yeah, but books. It, but it was the first time you could take music with you, mm. right? And so that it was a real game changer in the audio world, and mm-hmm. especially for music, and and it made a lot of people a lot of money that that they could sell albums to go, so to speak. And so as a kid. I you know, had the opportunity to hang out with my dad and his uh, partners in, in the 8-track, uh, uh, one of whom was a gentleman named W. Edwards Deming, who was the father of the total quality management philosophy. And he was kind of the consultant who made Toyota who they are mm-hmm. today. And so kind of sitting at the feet of these people you know, gave me a perspective uh, about business in general. And even though I was like a teenager, I still learned a lot from them. Uh, I, you know, I went on and obviously went on to college, uh, with uh, my original aspirations were to be a PGA golfer. Huh. And I actually went out and played for a very short period of time, a couple of years on the PGA golf tour. Dory. Do you remember me from the PGA golf tour? <laughs> I don't, I'm afraid. No, of no. course you don't. You see, that's that's the whole thing is, you know, I obviously I did not <laughs> stay out there. And, and so, <laughs> so that's a long time ago. But when I left, and, and here's where it kind of gets really crazy, is that when I left, uh, my college roommate came from an old uh, Hollywood family. Mm and so he became a director in hollywood and because i was out of work and didn't have anything better to do he brought me in to work with him on tv shows that he yeah. was directing and so i kind of got into that and, and, and he actually got me doing stunt work in hollywood so so that was a huge pivot you know from golfing to to doing that um but that you know, there's an old saying in hollywood that there are old stuntmen and there are bold stuntmen, but there are no old bold stuntmen. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you just get beat up so hard. And so I, I had to find something else to do. I pivoted into sales and ultimately marketing. And somehow, and I had no idea, but somehow I had a proclivity for marketing and just kind of figured out marketing kind of on my own and about what was important about marketing, what it really meant. And I got really good at it for my company. And my last real job was I was the highest-ranking uh, non-Japanese person for the world's largest radio-controlled toy mm-hmm. manufacturer out of Japan, and and, uh, um, and used my and was able to test and use my ideas and philosophies for that, and, and we became very very successful. And, you know, the moment that changed everything was we were at a trade show in New York City. And I had a, uh, a representative from Apple Computer come up to me and say, you know, we've been watching you guys at this show. We want to know what you're doing that appears to be so successful. And, you know, we're just not accomplishing that. So next thing I knew, I was uh, doing a little moonlighting on the side for a company called Apple Computer. <laughs> and then they introduced me to Some other companies. And, you know, of course, this is many years ago. And ultimately I started realizing I could make more money as a consultant uh, than I was, you know, as a marketing director for this for this company. So I quit and I've been on my own ever since and written books and also become a professional speaker and spoken around the world using my philosophy of separating yourself from the crowd and ultimately the uncopyable philosophy, which, which, you know, and and in in my own research of getting to, to know you better, you know, Roger, like you said, it's you and I have a very similar philosophy. Uh, so I was very excited about being able to come on today.
0: yeah the uncopyable thing is it resonated with me as soon as um, as soon as you got in touch to um, arrange this um, interview the uncopyable side of things really resonated with me and, and of course as I said, I'm, I'm currently writing a book I've resurrected my speaking career. I used to have a, I used to speak quite a lot when I was working for big corporate. when I first left and became a consultant, I guess I immersed myself in consultancy jobs and I I sort of let the speaking side of things go, but I'm I'm back out there now. I'm back on stages, and I'm, especially in, in Southeast Europe, for some reason they seem to like me in Southeast Europe. But uh, oh, really? Nice. Yeah, it, it's it's building up around this whole idea of I mean, my my obsession really is is simplicity in marketing and trying to help people to put marketing strategies together without all the complexity that you see in the traditional corporate way of doing things or the academic way of doing things but what really attracted me to the book uncopyable to your book was some of the some of the thoughts you'd had around standing out now obviously my belief is you if you want to market yourself as a business you do have to have something that's better than everybody else in your field. But of course, we know that these days, so many companies seem to have this almost almost built-in desire just to be the same as everybody. And we were talking just before I I um, hit record before, the UK airline industry is an example of this. Now, back in the late 90s in the UK, we had um, British Airways, British Caledonian, British Midland, you know, traditional flag-carrying airlines, very expensive fares, business class, first class, economy. And I suppose airline travel was quite restricted to people who had lots of money. And then at the end of the 90s uh, a new airline came along easyjet who said they based their business model on southwest airlines a successful us airline and and effectively since then the whole airline industry in the in europe and the uk has been revolutionised and now fares are really cheap you if you want food you have to buy it etc cetera, etc cetera, as opposed to the old british airways british midland model but 20 years down the line we have a whole plethora of low-cost airlines, but they're all the same, you know, at least 10 different low-cost airlines. But apart from the color of the tailplane, they may as well all be the same. And and it just occurs to me as I'm putting this book together and as I talk to people like yourself, that a lot of businesses, even if they start out with a great idea, there's always this long-term... There's, well, there's, all, a,
1: there's, this, there, there's what happens, a mantra that I am well known for, is I, I always say to everybody, Competition does not breed innovation. Mm. Competition breeds conformity. Yes. And the reason why I say that, which tracks exactly with what you're talking about, is that when companies are looking for ways to separate themselves from the competition, they don't look for ways to be different. They look for ways to be better and w- whenever you try to be better than the competition, what you basically are doing is you study what the competition is doing, and you say, well, we can do that too, but we can do it better. The competition is building a machine, and it makes uh, a 1,000 widgets an hour. Well, we can make a machine that does 2,000 widgets an hour. And so for you know a very brief time, and especially today – the way technology moves so quickly, it is so easy to copy somebody from a technological perspective, you know, that, that when you come out with that 2,000 widgets per hour machine, your competitor is going to come back and say, oh, OK, well, we'll do one that's 4,000. Yeah. And so if that just becomes this processionary caterpillar type of thing is where you're just looking at the other guys, and you're just saying, well, we can do better. We can do better. Better is never long term. It is never long term because if it can be copied, it will be copied because that is the default perspective that companies have, and and that was one of the big things that I learned, you know, growing up. Uh, you know, I mentioned Edwards Deming, father of the total quality management. You know, the the he would he planted in my head, and this is what this is where my kind of weird uh, perspective uh, started from was. You know, he planted in my head that there. he talked about benchmarking as being a cornerstone of his total quality philosophy. And benchmarking, essentially the definition of benchmarking is to observe correct behavior and then emulate within your own context. What what the vast majority of companies today have mistaken is that there are two types of benchmarking uh, that, that he taught, but most of them have ignored the second type. And the, the first one is you benchmark your com- your competition. Mm. What are they doing? Oh, we can do it better. Really, what Deming was saying was you must benchmark the competition just to see how you stand, mm. right? Because you have to have a minimum minimum viable product. But the second part was he said was if you are looking for new ideas, you will never get them from your competition. No. Uh, so what he what he said, and this is the basis of un, uncopyable, and it was driven home much many years later to me was, is that if you want to come up with new ideas, the new ideas don't make you better. The new ideas make you different. They make you unique. And if you do it right, you find ways to become uniquely superior, or as I call it, uncopyably superior. But the ideas you, where you go find the ideas is by going outside of your your world and studying aliens in other worlds. So if you're in the manufacturing industry, for example, you should be studying food companies. You should be studying high tech companies. You should be studying retail stores and retail outlets that have nothing to do with your industry and go study. You're studying them and you're looking for, okay, what makes them great? What separates them from the crowd? And when you, and you see what they're doing, you steal it you take it back to your world now it's brand new
0: and of course you call that stealing genius don't you i love that sentence yes. that's that's fantastic it is such an important lesson and yet again the my observation from many years working in the financial services industry is exactly how you've described it is that people just want to be slightly better, not even massively better. They just want to be slightly better than their competition. And what none of them have realised, and and I was part of this, so I'm, I'm partly to blame when I was involved what none of them have realized is that their customers don't care <laughs> it, mm-hmm. all they're doing is they're scoring points off each other as com- competitors there is this real desire just to be the same or slightly better and what i was drawn to again in in your book steve was the you know the really simple way you explain the ways that you can create competitive advantage now the tr- the three traditional ways are you can have a better product you can have a better price, probably a cheaper price, and you can have better service. And traditionally, when you're looking at those three levers that you can pull, most companies can only ever end up pulling two of them because, you can't have a really high quality product at the lowest price, for example, with the best service. But you're almost saying that those levers are just
1: not good enough anymore in whatever
0: combination that you can pull them.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Because as you say, it used to be that you could you could use two of them. You could use two. But now it's kind of gotten to the point because technology has, you know, there are no bad cars None. on the road. You know, there are no, there are no low quality bits. So the idea that the product and, and, and typically the way a product was better was through the quality of the product. Well, that's no longer the case. You know, everything is good enough because most companies now, you know, they, their products are commodities. Mm. Most companies understand that they, they get the idea that, that wow, our, our products really aren't that much different. Even the companies that are service based. Their services are really not that much different. So they say, okay, customer service is, is what makes us different. And if I go to anybody's website, I can pretty much guarantee you that I'm going to find somewhere in there the words, you know, we have the best customer service in the industry. Yeah. And that, and I just find that hilarious because they don't define it. Mm. You know, every single company says they have the best customer service in the industry. Now, they not only do they not define it, but everybody's saying that right you look at the product you look at customer service they're all the same so what does that leave as a decision maker for the for the customer for the prospect it's price mm. so now you get into that price the price wars like you're talking about with the airlines for example you know and if price is the only differentiation that you have you are always going to lose. You know, you're always going to lose because somebody will always be willing to go bankrupt before you yeah those things are no longer good enough by themselves to separate you from the crowd. But what we need to do is we now need to look for that fourth element of what else can we do for the customer that is a, that is completely out of that box? Who has uh, ever defined for you what that box is? Yeah. Nobody, right? We just hear the phrase, yeah. get out of the box. So the definition that I've come up with is it's that marketplace that you're in, and all of your competitors and you are all in that box. And so and you've got these big walls around you that say okay, we got to stay inside this box. We got to fight inside this box. You know, and I say that's bogus. Don't just get out of the box. You know, build your own box. Mm. You know, I talk about diff- many different examples of that, you know, in, with with many companies that we that we are very familiar with every you know, all the time. And, and uh, you know, the best example, of course, is Disney because they just build their own box. If we think in terms of, say, a roller coaster and if we like to ride roller coasters and I ask you, what's the best roller coaster in the world or what is the most popular roller coaster in the world? People who are roller coaster fanatics are all going to come back and they're going to talk about this. This one in Paris, you know, is so high and so fast that you black out four or five times during the ride. And that makes it awesome. <laughs> yeah. you know, ultimately, we, you know, if you keep talking about it, people will inevitably come up with the right answer. And the right answer is that the most popular roller coaster in the world is Space Mountain in Orlando, Florida. Mm. It has more riders than any other roller coaster on the planet, but Disney does not call it a roller coaster, and they don't they don't promote it like a roller coaster. You know, it's a ride into outer space that has been wrapped in an experience and a physical difference where you don't, you know, you don't really think about it as a roller coaster. So that's the, that's an example. What I mean is that, is that we have to look for ways, you know, we have to look for that fourth element that, that will give us that total differentiation from, from the competition and the, and the ultimate goal as I, as I say in, in the book, is, is not, not just to have loyal customers, but to have an attachment with them, or I mean, where they are attached to you, where they will actually feel that they can't leave you because they will lose if they leave you. So you have to find that other element to, uh, to accomplish that. And
0: what exactly is it? that creates that fourth element is it creating a community around your product and service is it being the better communicator than everybody else you communicate in an extremely engaging way and you don't perhaps hard sell it's all it's all maybe content based it's collaborative what what what,
1: what is it that's going to make you stand out it can be any of those um i break it into three types of strategies mm um, in, in my book, you know, the the first one is, is uncopyable branding and branding, uh, and in small businesses tend to, they they tend to get confused about this word brand, keeping it as simple as possible. Like you say, let's keep, let's keep the complexity out of it. Think of your brand as your promise to the marketplace. Mm. That's all it is. It's just your promise. And then you can come up with an icon, uh, that represents your promise. Uh, so, uh, you know, for for Disney, you know, they, when you go to Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Paris, you know, Disneyland Paris or some, something like that, you 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 know, their promise is that this is the happiest place on earth, hmm. and so everything that they do around it is to show that that this place really, you know, our daughter when we took her there and she she was like seven years old or something, and she turned to my wife at one point and she said, "Mom, this really is the happiest place <laughs> yeah. on earth," and. Happiest is a superlative, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and the icon is Mickey, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? So they make this promise of of being being the happiest, and then they deliver upon that. That's the branding part. That's I mean, that is the brand that you you can make the promise for Southwest Airlines, for example. um, You know, we talked about that 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 these other low cost carriers came in ostensibly uh, mimicking Southwest Airlines, but Southwest Airlines had already established a branding proposition, you know, they're still the most successful airline in the United States. Mm. Uh, And the reason why is that, yes, they do have low fares. Not always do they have low fares, but they do have low fares, but they have developed a culture of fun. Uh, They call themselves the love airline. And when you ride them, you are going to have a better time (laughs) <laughs> you know, then you will. Uh, and I've I tell stories in my book about things that have happened on Southwest Airlines. Uh, you talk to people and you and you say, "Have you ever seen anything funny on Southwest Airlines?" And almost everybody says, "Yes." Yeah. You know that has has flown them for a while. So see, that's the uncopyable branding is the culture. It's the promise. You know. Then I talk about the uncopyable experience. Uh, you know, what is the overall experience that they get from you? It could be something as simple as like for some like companies that I deal with that are in the B2B world, you know, they're delivering products to the marketplace, but the way they separate themselves from the marketplace is by, is, is they, what they add this component to uh, their value proposition. Like for example, have, uh, I have a couple of clients that in the B2B world that they have like, uni, you know, universities, mm-hmm. you know, online universities for their customers but the online universities aren't just about their products you know learning how to operate their products things like that they go a step further and they teach they teach their customers about marketing and sales and customer service and giving speeches and things like that yeah and then what what they'll do is they will create a club and they'll say okay if you're in the club you're a customer of ours you are in the club and here's your password here's our secret handshake Here's your cool hat, the badge that you can wear at trade shows that shows that you're in the club. And if you're in the club, you get all this education. But if you leave the club, you lose that education. Mm. See, So that's like a type of an experience example. And then the third strategy is what I call uncopyable innovation. And that's where you go out and you, you do this stealing genius of coming up with ideas and concepts from other companies. Uh, We have a we have a company in the U.S. uh, retail store called American Girl. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? I'm not actually. No. Uh, Okay. Well, it's it's a doll store. Okay, it's a doll store that was started a number of years ago, uh, and it had had one store in Chicago. You know, dolls dolls are dolls. You know, you can buy dolls in a lot of toy stores all all over the world. But what they did was created a doll. They created a series of dolls. Each one of them was based on a historical uh, epi- a historical era in the United States at that time. They've since expanded to international types of dolls, but uh, so like my daughter's doll was uh, the Revolutionary War doll. Mm-hmm. So all of her accessories were authentic to the Revolutionary War, right? And they had books about uh, this girl's adventures during the Revolutionary War, but they were historically accurate. So my daughter was learning about the Revolutionary War while she was playing with her doll and her friends were playing with their dolls and they were they were sharing stories about their dolls and they had clothing and they had accessories. You could get, the girls could get clothing to match their dolls. And when you also went to the store, they had a sit down restaurant uh, for you to go in where they taught the girls etiquette while they were eating meals at the restaurant they have a, a beauty salon mm-hmm. for the girls they have uh, for the, for the dolls they have instead the, the american girl dolls don't get uh, don't break they get sick so they don't have a repair department it's the hospital the <laughs> so this whole thing this whole idea of they're it's just a doll but they have wrapped it in this very, very unique way. So what I've often done, what I did one time, was I took management from Caterpillar construction equipment to the American Girl store in Chicago, and they spent two or two almost three hours in there taking pictures and notes and things like that, and went back and used that information on how to change their relationship with their customers and how to change, uh, you know, change the experience that drivers were having of their equipment. You know, this heavy duty. Construction equipment, but they got the ideas from the American girl. That's so they stole the idea from from outside. And that's that's what the third concept is. And when you're able to do those, now you're able to create that fourth element that I was talking about. And uh, and and if you do it right, it becomes very very difficult for your competition to copy you.
0: I really like that, and in fact, I'm have to look up the American Girl example um, after we've had this conversation. I'll be straight on. If to you come Google to the U.S. To and it. you
1: you need to look it up, and you need to go to that store.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you you've given me three great examples there. But American Girl to me sounds like it fulfills all three of your uncopyable dimensions: the uncopyable brand, the uncopyable experience, and the uncopyable innovation. Steve, exactly. when you're talking to companies, though, I'm sure that they think, yeah, very good. Here's another consultant with them, really wacky ideas. How do we get, and I find this difficult as well, how do we get company executives to get out of that mindset of we just need to be better than our competition and and get them out of that rut that they're all in, of just coming up with those little tweaks that just end up like the airline example, where they're just doing tiny little things that are better. What is it that we can do to give them the kick up the backside they need to focus on the fourth element?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, what I learned a long time ago was that if I stand in front of a group of executives and I say, you, you need to do this to be better, you know, to separate yourself from the crowd. And basically, I'm just saying you need to change. Terrible response. Yeah. You know, really bad response. Nobody changes until they are dissatisfied with the way they're currently doing something. So, my job then is to make them dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. That's my first step. Why should I cho- do business with you versus every other option available, including? Doing nothing, or what I've always been doing. Mm. Tell me why you're you're different. You know, helps me to to see that I should be doing business with you. So I have, you know, I start out with the conversation like that, and I say, all right, if I'm if I'm a customer, and I put the three of you in, you know, in front of me, you know, you, you and your two top uh, competitors, you know, why why should I pick you? And not only why should I pick you, but why should I never even think about ever leaving you again? Mm. So, so the ex- I, I make people go through an exercise take a piece of paper draw the line down the middle of the paper and I say okay put your company's name on on the left column put your top competitor's name on the right column all right now go down your column and write and write down all of the reasons why I should do business with you what are all those benefits you know what are all those things that that you you tell people here's why you should buy from us and you make all that list and then I say, okay, now go over to your competition site and do the same thing. What are they telling everybody are all the reasons why I should do business with them? And you list all of those. And I say, okay, now go over and cross off everything that is the same on both sides. And that's a very sobering exercise because they cross everything off. Mm-hmm. And they they start to, they, they see, oh, wait, you know, we aren't different than the, than the competition. And even if we think we're better than the competition from the customer's perspective, they're not seeing that, you know, they're not seeing as well. So the first thing you always have to do is you have to make them dissatisfied because then once they're dissatisfied, then they kind of look at you and they go, all right, yeah, I don't like this. Now what do I do? And that's when the
0: journey really begins because they've got to get out of that mindset of just thinking of little little tiny steps to be better than the competition, what they've really then got to do is focus on creating that whole fourth dimension to make themselves truly stand out in terms of brand, in terms of experience, and in terms of innovation. Now, Steve, I'm wanting people to actually read your book rather than you giving away the entire contents of the book in this podcast. But what would be the one thing that you would like the listeners of the marketing and finance podcast to take from from your book or the experience that you've had writing the book over the years as you've as you've built up to uncopyable
1: you have to be looking at marketing from the correct perspective mm-hmm. and you and i kind of Touched on this a little bit, and I've heard you talk about this in uh, your other podcasts with Pete, with other guests, and, and so it goes back to where I always tell people: look, the, the first thing you got to understand is that you're probably doing marketing backwards. Yeah, you know, you're falling into that trap of the the tactics, or as you call them, the communications. Uh, you, you know, that that becomes your first the thing. So you say, oh, uh, you know live video on, you know, Instagram video or Facebook live video, or that's what's hot today. We should do that. It's, that's just a tool. That's a tactic. That, that should never be the first thing that you think about. The first thing you should always be thinking about is who's your market. And I, I compare it to hunting moose in the forest. Uh, You know, if you are hunting moose and you go into the forest, there are a lot of animals in the forest. But you're not you're not interested in the other animals. You're only interested in the moose. And so, how do you attract you know how, how do you hunt moose? Well, number one is you got to go to forests that have moose to begin with. Uh, so you got to go where they hang out, and then you've got to figure out what makes them what makes them hungry. Uh, you know what you know what kind of bait is going to attract them, and you know what kind of a gun do I need to bring them down? Right. <laughs> yeah. So. It's uh, so, so the very, very first thing you got to do is you got to know your moose. You got to know who they are. You got to know where their pain points are and you got to know where they, where they hang out so that, so that then the second thing is what is that bait? You know, what is the message to market that you have that makes them want to raise their hand and say, oh yeah, I'm interested in talking to you and then the third step at that point now you start to look at the tools my moose dictate where i go and if if and if billboards are the best then i'm going to use billboards you know if uh tv advertising is the best that's what i'm going to use my my moose dictate how i you know how i'm going to communicate with them
0: Absolutely. And and I see the same thing over and over again. And I mean, my big hot potato has always been complexity, complexity in product, complexity in process, complexity in language. But I think that today, this obsession that a lot of marketers have of diving straight into the communications is almost becoming as big an obsession with me as the complexity. Because a lot of people will come to me and say, Roger, we need to be on Twitter. Roger, we need to be doing video. And I'll always say, well, Let's step back. Let's talk about who the customer is, your target market. Let's talk about their pain points, all the things that you've just said. And some of them will curl up and say, no, 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 that's strategy. We don't want to do that. We want to start doing Twitter. We want... And, you know, sometimes we end up not having a conversation because they don't want to do the groundwork. And you can't successfully market your business unless you've done the strategy. Steve, we've covered a lot of ground today. We agree on quite a lot of things. A lot of things draw me to what you've written in the book, resonate with me in a big way, and I think that um, everybody really needs to have a read of this book and to think about that fourth dimension. Now, this is the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Um, You are a marketer, but what I'd like to do is to just find out from you. Give me one example of a marketing campaign by somebody that's really caught your attention and made you think, wow, they've really nailed that. They've really done that well. Who would that be?
1: I'm going to pick one of my clients. Yep. Uh, small business in Minneapolis, Minnesota, developed software for the portable storage unit mm-hmm. industry. And so these guys, who actually came from that industry, developed a, a software program that helps small businesses to track their inventory. Mm. And in their first year, they, you know, and it's a very expensive product, but they said, okay, in the first year we can only have 50 customers. And so we literally would create a countdown on their website when they were at a trade show. It would say, "Okay, we can we can take, you know, 15 more subscriptions and then we won't be opening up subscriptions again for a minimum of six months. We use scarcity and we turned it into a subscription, an annual subscription instead of just selling the product. Uh, And, you know, the subscription included everything. You know, all the service, uh, uh, customizing, customization, everything. And one year after we had started this, year-to-year increase in sales was over 1,800%. Wow. And because it's a subscription, now it's, it's like a club. Yeah. And if the people, you know, cancel their subscription or drop it, they lose everything. Great
0: example. And of course, today we've been talking mainly about your book, Uncopyable, but give me an example of a, of a business book by somebody else that you've read recently. My most recent
1: two books uh, that I, you know, one, one is a fairly, uh, fairly recent book, uh, and it's called the founders' mentality, and it's by Chris Zook, Z-O-O-K, and James Allen. This really gets into how you know owners uh, and the way they look at their business, right? You know, they need to be as simple as they can. They they need to recognize that just being better is is not going to be good enough. Uh, they talk a lot about how competition changes so quickly. One of the one of the things I enjoyed. Uh, uh, in there, they did research into B two B companies, and they they learned that. And I'm going to quote something here out of the book. You know, they they learned that well over half of executives who were surveyed say that their main competitor in five years will be different than it is today. Mm-hmm. You know that you know you see that a lot, right? Where it's not the competitors that you see. Uh, and I think Bill Gates said it first, he said, he said, I'm not worried about the, co- the competitors I can see. I'm worried about the ones I can't, I can't see. see. And then the other book that I read recently, which I thought was terrific, is called Monster Loyalty. It's written by a woman named Jackie Huba, H-U-B-A. And it's all about how Lady Gaga turns her followers into fanatics. And she, her followers are known as little monsters. And it's a fantastic read analyzing how Lady Gaga has created this enormous, enormous fan club.
0: Fantastic. And they've just found themselves on my bucket list. I particularly like the title of the second one. So I might read that one first. I know. It just, <laughs> it just jumped right out at me when I saw it. <laughs> Steve, thanks very much for coming on the show this afternoon. It's been amazing to talk to you. So much common ground. I love your ideas. I love the book. And I really do recommend people should buy the book and read it and even buy yourself a hard copy so you can get those marker pens out and start yep. highlighting stuff. So, Steve, how should people get in touch with you and where can they get the book?
1: Well, the uh, my website, oddly enough, is called theadventure.com. And I say, oddly enough, because it comes, comes from my background as a stunt man, where my nickname was Captain Adventure. Uh, and I call it that because I can't. If you go to theadventure.com, uh, you can find me there, obviously. But if you go to theadventure.com slash Roger Edwards, uh, then you're going to find that I have a little offer for you that is a white paper about three steps to speed branding your company. Uh, it's free and just go in and get it. Fantastic. Steve, I'll
0: include that link and other links that we've talked about today in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF. As I say, great to talk to you. Loved our conversation today. Even though there are four and a half thousand miles between us, hopefully <laughs> one day we can sit in the same room and we can have a beer.
1: That would be that would be fantastic. It's now on my bucket list.
0: Great stuff. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.